Good morning. Well, I have a little housekeeping to do, uh, just, just before I begin on my sermon this morning. Uh, if anyone owns a brown BMW and it's parked in our car park, the engine happens to still be running. Um, so everyone's going to close their eyes and allow for that person to sneak out quietly and take a look. But if you have a brown BMW, uh, the engine is still running, please uh, feel free to duck out and uh, check on that. There we go, NG633. Well, Stuart's still away. But that means you've got me this morning. The return of the king. Last week we looked at 2 Thessalonians, and this week we're going to continue to look at 2 Thessalonians. It seems that often in the Christian walk, We forget that the return of the King is promised to us. Jesus will return. We won't know the day or the hour, as it says in Mark 13.32, but we will know some things. And it's normal to be interested in this. Of course, it's interesting. For we as humans, we live in a bubble of time. We live in this time and space. And we like to look to the future maybe fixate sometimes on the future. Sometimes we also like to fixate on the past. And neither of these things in themselves are bad to look to the future or to the past. But it's our propensity to avoid the present, especially if things in our present are not ideal or great, that is not a good thing. And the reason it's not ideal is because both the past and the present are often painted in our own perceptions of them. They can be seen through rose-colored glasses, as it were. And not that it's not good to be optimistic for the future, or in fact to see the past in a positive light, that can be a very good thing. But we can convince ourselves of a slightly different picture than what may be reality with rose-colored glasses. And the concern here is truth. Truth is the concern. Considering things like fake news are such prominent things for us in our common day and age, a very important topic of discussion at the moment, it's very important that we as the church, we focus on the truth. What is true? Not only true for us as individuals, but true in a broader sense. Because rewriting the narrative to spin, even if it's positive spin is not truth. And spinning a story is currently very much in vogue. The danger of viewing the past also with rose-colored glasses is that the truth can be obscured. We think of things that we have done that possibly were not great. We make them look a little bit better, paint them up, give them a bit of a shine. And we deceive ourselves. We can see this all in reverse, of course. And I like to call this grey-coloured glasses. You know what I'm talking about here. The future is doom and gloom. We have little hope. The world is headed downhill fast. The world is going to hell in a handbasket. It's the old saying. Doom is coming to us. As individuals, we can 
also look at the past with these glasses and not celebrate good things that have occurred, the joy that we have had. To think all was grey and drab and each day was a grind and was hard, that there were too many years of wasted opportunities, and maybe we might even say things like, I wish, I just wish I had done that differently, or I wish I had made that different choice. And if I was presented with that opportunity again, I'd do it this way. And of course, self-reflection is important, and there is truth in self-reflection. But just as with the rose-colored glasses, truth can be at a premium and can be lost with gray-colored glasses. I hope it's clear that I'm using these as extremes. And in all honesty, we will do both of these things. We will look at things in a positive and a negative light to varying degrees. The danger is the truth can be left behind. The truth can be lost or shaded to rose or gray. Now, for those of you in the room who are not inclined with the Lord of the Rings series and J.R.R. Tolkien, I ask that you bear with me for two seconds. I promise I won't dwell long. But as soon as I started preparing this message, I couldn't help but remember that the second part of the Lord of the Rings trilogy is in fact called The Return of the King. The Return of the King. And that's the title of my message this morning, The Return of the King. And the books, as well as the movies, tell a story of the ring of power and the great battle between good and evil that occurs. The return of the king in the story is a man named Aragorn. He's a lost man, but he's returning to reclaim the throne of his kingdom. Now, this story is a subplot in the Lord of the Rings story. It's not the main story. It's important, but it's not the main story. The main story is of the ring, the battle between good and evil, the one of much greater significance. And in both of the letters, or the books you could call them to the Thessalonians, this seems to be what is happening in regarding the second coming of Christ. The Thessalonians, oh, wow, that's a hard one, I understand before, that it comes off the tongue, it's tricky, Thessalonica, Thessalonians. The Thessalonians were stuck thinking of the subplot and not the real story of significance, the real matters of significance. They were stuck on the second coming of Christ. Their rose or grey-coloured glasses also had caused them to be removed from the truth about it all. Some of them had fixated on it positively, about it being a great thing. Some had fixated on it negatively. And even today, in our culture, there are those who are fixated on the end times, obsessed with it can't stop talking about it. When clearly, the Bible teaches that this is not the core message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's important, it's a subplot, but it's not the main message. And Paul begged them, he begged them, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed about this. Don't be shaken in mind or alarmed. Don't fixate on it. For some had apparently been fixating on it. Some had been saying that Jesus had already come back and they'd missed it. Surprise! Missed it. Don't know how you missed it, but you missed it. And there is a suggestion here that someone may have written a letter, maybe even in Paul's name, that said that the second coming had actually already occurred. Something circulated, written, perhaps. They were freaking out. 
Oh, wow. But they were doing this all without need. All without need. For as we know, in our day and age, time keeps ticking along. It hasn't come yet. Not yet. It will happen. But it hasn't come yet. The Greek word parousia, a parousia, depending on how you pronounce it, the coming of Christ, is mentioned here more prominently in this passage of Scripture than any other place in the New Testament, the idea of his coming again. And of course, there are many, many things that have been written and said about it, many theories, many terms that have been thrown around about the Antichrist, the millennium, the rapture. And these are not entirely inconsequential. But I would say one thing about them, as time has ticked along. This is what I believe. These things can be distractions. Distractions from what is really of most importance. We're called to be here, in the now, living in this moment, in this place, 2019, in Rabina. We are called to the now. And these things, focusing on these things too much, can be a distraction. They will happen in God's timing. The Bible's very clear about that. And Paul's words to the Thessalonians are true to us. We shouldn't be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. We have the message of Jesus Christ to be about. A far more important, far more significant, far greater message. We have the message of God's love and forgiveness to the world. We have the message of the cross of Jesus Christ, that sin can be dealt with, and that relationship with God is possible through Jesus and his work on the cross for us. If there is anything at all in Scripture to fixate on, it's this thing. This is it. The cross of Jesus Christ is what we should be focused on. It is the most important thing. In regards to the second coming, Paul is clear that some things do need to happen first. Even in this passage, he mentions it. He says that the lawless one needs to be revealed. The Antichrist will arise, declaring himself to be God, some have said. There is something really interesting that is happening here in Paul's writing, uh, and it's a historical piece of interest. There is an archetype, a picture, an image throughout Scripture of what an antichrist is, a leader who stands against God. And this type of figure appeared many times in the Bible and in Jewish history, notably the pharaohs of Egypt who claimed to be God, who stood up and said, I'm God, worship me. The Babylonian kings also did so. Rulers of Rome, a little bit later. And just before that, possibly the most applicable image or person who stood up and said that they were God and claimed to be God was a man named Antiochus, the fourth Epiphanes. A very interesting gentleman, a Hellenistic king. During a time in Jewish history that we refer to as the Maccabean Revolt. Sorry, I won't bore you with too much of a history lesson. This gentleman, he's very handsome, isn't he? Good looking. This gentleman, he declared himself to be God. 
And he ruled over the Jews unjustly, persecuted them. Thus a revolt, the Maccabean revolt. And he fits the bill perfectly of a picture of an antichrist figure. And the words that Paul uses here in this passage refer to a person like this, particularly the idea of desolation. And I'll explain why. For Antiochus not only persecuted the Jewish people, but he did some very, very terrible things in regards to the Jewish religion. He sacrificed a pig on the altar in Jerusalem, an unclean animal according to the Jewish law. He sacrificed this on the Jewish altar. And he declared himself to be a god, of course. You can see the coin on the screen. This was one that was stamped with Antiochus. And he's sitting on a throne there. And the wording written on the throne on the left-hand side there is Theos Epiphanes. I am God. God Epiphanes. And just underneath it, it says, the image of God himself, the bearer of victory. Antiochus set himself up to be above God, to be worshipped as God. And someone like this is going to have to come along, according to Paul, before the return of Jesus Christ. Now this brings us all to the real point, of course. The big question, I believe, for the Thessalonians and for us, is who are we going to worship as king? Who is our king that we worship? There are a lot of choices. Jesus is coming back. The details, they will happen in God's timing. But right now, in this moment, will we focus on a subplot or the matter of real significance? Who we worship here and now? I've become convinced that it's not simply a simple assent to being a Christian that shows who we worship. It's not me just saying I'm a Christian, but it is my daily life. What I do, my actions, how I care for others. Not standing up here, not speaking about it, doing it. That truly shows that I'm worshiping God if I love my neighbor. We should be passionate about our service and our worship of our King. This is what we have to do now in this present moment. We can be far too easily distracted by other things, other desires, other things that are even enjoyable and good. And I think in this, there's some powerful truth about the fact that we, as humans, are so used to getting distracted. I know I am, my wife tells me all the time, very easily distracted. <laughs> it takes a daily work to come back to, cross, to the cross, to Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis, who uh, is another great novelist, of course, said this once, our passions are not too strong, they are too weak. We are far too easily pleased. I think it could also perhaps say we are far too easily distracted. Put off task. In our last verse for this morning, Paul went on to say, do you not remember that I told you these things when I was still with you? I told you these things. I told you not to be alarmed. I told you these things were gonna happen and you wouldn't have to worry There'd have to be some rebellion and that an antichrist figure would have to arise. I told you, 
Don't you remember? Paul had instructed the Thessalonians about this, but they had got caught up in it anyway and missed the bigger picture. They had got distracted. I think we need to make sure that as much as we can, by the Holy Spirit's help, we are not distracted from our course. We need to remember what is most important, to remember the cross of Christ, to remember our King that we worship now, in this present moment, here. Our job as Christians is to love our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and love our neighbour as ourselves. We live now, in 2019. And we shouldn't look at this time with rose-coloured glasses or with grey-coloured glasses. And we shouldn't get distracted into looking at the future or to the past. We need to live in the moment. We as a church have an open day next week. It's important for us to show our love to the community, to show our love of Christ, to show that we as a church now love and worship Jesus that we care now. We have done good things in the past and we will do good things in the future, but what are we doing now, right now? Let us live for God in the now. Amen.